You're listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. The final curtain call, a celebration of legendary grassroots figures in the industry. Now, here's a gentleman. I promise you had something special this week, and it is special for me. It's nice to meet this, this guy after all the things I've heard about him. Um, as a member of Granny, they had an album in the early 70s. They were signed to a DJM, which is Dick James Music or Dick, Dick James Records. Um, but other than that, he's got so many projects over the years. We're talking about Mild and Bitter with Dave Bronze. We're talking about, he, he knows, he knows I'm onto him. Um, we're talking about Granny or Granny Grunt, or they were originally called something like the Sludge Gulpers. Yeah. Yeah, and as a session musician at Pi Records in the 60s, I'll be asking him about that. I'll also be asking him about the Stray Cool Cats, which is something else that he did. Yeah, see, you're not dealing with somebody here who doesn't know anything about you, Bob. I have I have my sources. But it's Bob Mundy. Bob, it's a pleasure to meet you. How are you, mate? Oh, great. And it's a pleasure to meet you, well, Marcus. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, first question, obvious question, really. How have you been over the last 18 months with everything going on? You've been all right? Oh, yeah. It was in some ways, it was good to have a rest because yep. we've been, over the years, I've been really busy. And um, it was good to have a bit of rest. And with the boomers, which Mold and Bitter developed into, or boomers with a That's Z. That's right, the, the boomers with a Z. That. Yep. Yeah, that was you. And um, we did a couple of um, online, well, we did four uh, online tracks um, together. And two of them we actually put onto YouTube, and they are really, really good. One's a Crawl to Be Kind, which features the vocalist. We had Mark, um, oh goodness me, Mark. <laughs> Mark, I forgot. Is his that name. where we are at the moment, yeah, Bob? Is that's it? it. I forgot his name. <laughs> and he'll, he'll hate me for this because I always used to call him Tim. <laughs> this <laughs> could be a fun interview then. Yeah, so he was Mark, and uh, it will come back to me eventually. And Tim brought it on drums. And um, he did that, Crawl Be Kind, which was a Rob Lowe. Song. Oh, yes, yeah. Nick yeah. Lowe. Nick Rob Lowe. Lowe's the actor, isn't he? Rob Lowe's Nick the actor, Lowe's, Nick Lowe. This is yeah. where I am this morning. Yeah, that's all right, mate. Keep going. <laughs> um, well, I did a Beatles Come Together. Um, so that that was really good. We've had lots of good comments about that. And then just after that, because of lockdown, the boom was kind of ended. Right. But we got back together a couple of weeks back, and we've done two gigs uh, this month. So that's nice, and we're planning to do a few more. Yeah. But my main thing at the moment is the management. Yes, I know, you're working with them. Yeah, you, and that's you... really busy. If I had to send Tim a gig list, because he wants to fill some gigs in okay. for the boomers, and he said, wow, you're busy. Because we are, I mean, it's amazing. I know, yeah, I notice like, every yeah. week. You, you, you're doing places like Great Waker in British Legion, yeah, you've done the um, Lee Constitutional <laughs> Club. Yeah. We're talking the usual suspects here, Ambleside. Yeah, all, um, kind of stuff, all yeah. of those ones, Rust yeah. Club in Romford, and yeah, yeah, and you you seem to be really busy. You're out every every because you've not been in them for is it a couple of years now, eighteen months? Yeah, that was the that you started Paul, off, wasn't it? Paul yeah, Milligan. with Paul Paul Milligan. We both joined. Uh, they had Vic Collins and a guy called Chris, and they yeah. fell out. A lot of bands kind of fell apart during lockdown. Of course, yeah. And um, so after, as lockdown was finishing, they invited Paul and me to join. Uh, and it's great. They're a great bunch of guys. John Bobin, I've known on for years. In fact, John Bobin is probably someone you should speak to. I mean, yeah. he's got massive history. I'm here to learn, Bob. Yeah, well, he goes. He was one of the guys I looked up to when I moved to this area back okay. in the late '60s. He was in the Fingers, uh, Mickey Jupp's band. Mickey Jupp, yeah. So he's done lots of stuff, and I always everyone I knew knew him. But I did never really met him until he started coming to the Boomers gigs. And that was where I got to know him. And he's a lovely guy. 
he's a good bass player and a really nice guy. And you keep him busy with the management, as you say here. Is it where you want it to be in as much as, because we've, we've all chased the dream, Bob. We've all mm. had that, you know, playing it. I'm going to use the word dive, but you know what I mean. We've yeah. played everywhere over the years trying to get something, trying to get a lucky break. Yeah. At this stage of your career, is it where you want it to be, really? Yeah, I suppose at this stage, I'm just happy to be playing. But someone yeah. will pay me to go out and play. But it, ideally, I'd like to be doing more functions rather than yeah. I love the clubs yeah. but we go back you go back to the clubs fairly often and mm. you've got to really it's like comedians have to keep changing their act of course yeah. we've got to keep adding new songs whereas if you could do functions you're yeah, playing it's just to a new audience yeah, yeah. all the time and that yeah. in a way it's more difficult because they, they don't know you and you've got to every time you've got to go and impress them that much of course you've got no, no laurel to sit on you know yeah so uh, but that's what I'd really like to be doing is more functions and developing a bigger audience. I think really. it can go that way. It's just at the moment with everybody with functions, you've had so many weddings yeah. and parties and everything cancelled that everybody's right. a bit. You know, we, we're taking what we can to a certain extent. You know, we play where we can and earn what yeah. we can. Um, not it's about the money because it isn't, but you know, you got no. you got to you know earn a bit, haven't you? Yeah. But um, in terms of set list, did it basically write itself? Did you bring anything new, or was it a case of this is what we play and you looked at it and went, well, I've done that for years? Or? <clears throat> Well, yeah, kind of. When we joined them, there was their set list, and Paul and I from the Brooms, there was ours, and we kind of combined the two just to get it off the ground. Yeah. But then we've been rehearsing um, new songs. We had two, we had two rehearsals over the past two weeks. We've added nine new songs to set. Two of them are Christmas songs, so then only well, get paid yeah, once. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> right. Yeah, eleven months of uh, of sitting on the back burner. That's right. But you have, um, with something like that, you've probably got 300 years of experience on that stage. <laughs> oh, pretty much. So yeah. you, when it comes to putting stuff together, yeah, this is this is cut a part of part of the, the evolution of the way it works. The people that you work with, I'm assuming you worked with Paul before. Did you were you yeah. in the heaters together, or was that just? No, I was with him back in 1974 in a band called Skint. Skint and Dave Bronze. That was when I first met Dave before Bronze. Before Glider, as well. this is Dave Bronze. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Dave Bronze was on bass. Paul Dean on. Hammond organ and Paul Reynolds on drums. Right. Paul Reynolds went on to so join. And... He's in the, he was in Pinkies. Yeah. Dave Bronze, as you know, was in I know, Glider. Yeah. I think he was uh, with Tom Jones at the moment. Dave Bronze. Tom Jones. Uh, he was with Andy Fairweather on the. Yes, right. Yeah. The for low years. Riders. Clapton. And, I know he's yeah, done Eric Clapton. Eric Bibb. Well, feel it's goods. easier to say. To, yeah, the feel goods. It's easier to say to Dave, who haven't you played with? Yeah, it probably. Is, and he'll yeah. tell you how blind. <laughs> <laughs> so let's. Uh, this, this is going to be a little bit of a, of a time time tunnel for you we're going to go back to um where you started your first experience freddie mac extravaganza freddie mac extravaganza um yeah. were you uh, you young man seeing seeing the europe seeing the world i mean I well, yeah we did the film festival yeah we did paris film festival and the paris agricultural festival okay um there was lots of other stuff scheduled but freddie he moves about a lot okay and um yeah while we were with him he opened a club in um it was somewhere in soho the the Tamla Village, and we played that a couple of times. And when it opened, there was loads of the old soul stars were there, and we because that's we what were, you were, eight piece soul band or yeah. something, wasn't it? Was it eight piece? Yeah, it was. It was eight piece. Yeah, in the band, we also sometimes Digby Fairweather and Kenny Baxter would stand in oh, on okay. brass as well. So we had a four piece brass section. There was f a four piece black group, um, the Diablos, two guys and two girls. Okay. They were really good. 
and then there was various other solo acts and I was I was like the kind of substitute Tom Jones really back then <laughs> I was the white guy alright squeezing into the leather trousers was that alright unfortunately I didn't have to wear leather trousers <laughs> it was Regency suits back then you remember the suits where the collar came yeah, up you yeah. know? so um, that kind of suited me but Freddie made me have my hair cut and actually sent me to a hairdresser's and he used to keep me groomed to the way he liked me. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> well, there was a lot of that, yeah, that was, I suppose. Yeah. There was an image to uphold. And, That's right. And uh, ru ruling with an iron hand. As, yeah. To a he, certain extent. Yeah, and he was a wonderful guy. I mean, he, he went on to become Mr. Ultra Funk, who used to have, I think, KTEL Records used to I do. I remember Kate, yeah. And he'd be on TV, the big black ball guy. Advertising. I mean, he was ultra. And then after that, he was Mr. Superbad. <laughs> <laughs> and I bumped into him on Canvey Island when he was Mr. Superbad at the gold mine because Granny used to play at the gold mine yeah. on Canvey Island. And uh, he was a lovely guy, but unfortunately, he's like a lot of the guys who I used to know. They've gone. Yeah, that's, know, it's sad. That's part of it, I'm afraid. It is, it isn't is it? part of it, yeah. But that, that's your first experience, and that's kind of set you up. And you started working at Pi Records. That's right. You were a session musician. Yeah. But session part, were you part of the songwriting team or were you just working with um, them? No, the songwriters told me what to sing. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> so your vocals, were you any any instruments? Just... No, back then I was just vocals. I st when I started as a kid, I started as a guitarist because I was too scared to sing. Right. And, um, but I never became the guitarist that I wanted to be. I don't think anybody so, does, do they? No, no, for sure. I've spoke to Andy Fairweather and he says, I'm, I'm still on the ladder, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's true, yeah. Um, but I was, got a bit dissatisfied with guitar and then I thought, well, if I can't play guitar the way I want to, maybe I can sing the way I want to. Mm. I got, I'll have to get over the shyness. And I found that yeah, I was actually started off as quite a good singer and it mm. developed, especially when I went into soul music, really stretches your tonsils yeah and um, yeah. that that did me a lot of good and then working professionally with freddie you learn about the standard you need to be at because yeah. there was these other professional singers with him and i i suppose i've always worked with people who were better than me and further up the ladder than me and i've learned from them yeah i mean somebody spoke to me recently i mean i, I do a lot of teaching and i, I say yeah. to them that music is lived it isn't learned yeah you know, and I always find if you're learning guitar or something, it's if you have a guitar next to you in the front room, you're more likely to pick it up than if yeah. you've got your music stand upstairs and everything set That's up right. in your little space. Yeah. So when you when you actually live it and you, you start sitting with these people, it's a bit like sitting under the learning tree. Mm. You sort of travel into a show and you're talking to them, oh, we, well, we did this, and you take all this, all this information. And I think you grow as a musician twice as fast. And then yeah. you join a band. Yeah. I mean, my brother, when he joined the band years ago, 16, and I said, just join. Don't even worry about learning it. Just no. come to rehearsals and keep doing it. Yeah. Like learning a language. If you want to learn Italian, go to Italy and put yourself in the deep end. Exactly. Yeah. So you're working as a as a session musician. And at that time, Pi, you had, um, I'm trying to think now, Quo were there in their infancy. Um, the Kinks. Um, did, yeah. you, did you manage that? The Searchers? Because uh, Sandy Shaw. Because yeah, it's the pink it was label, like, wasn't it? Yeah. I never met any of them. You never met any of them? Never, you were just I, the people I, I, my, I met. Chris, as I was going into a studio, I met Christine Perfect, who was Christine McVie, coming Christine out of the studio. And again, coming out of the studio, crossing Denmark Street, yeah. uh, I met J Long John Baldry coming the other way. Okay. And he was singing. He was obviously learning the song that he was going <laughs> to sing. Uh, but that was kind of it. But in the session band, uh, we had uh, Rick Hud Richard Hudson and John Ford. Richard Hudson on drums, John Ford on bass, who then... 
they quit the. We, we actually had a name, the session band. We were called Boat Race. Okay. And I used to actually gig with Boat Race, but it was a totally different band. A bunch right. of guys I knew. So uh, John and Hud, we used to call him Richard Hudson, his nickname was Hud. They became Hudson Ford. Do you remember Hudson Ford? Um, I'll look them up. I'm a union man or something. But they, uh, before that, they had left us to join the Straubs. They said, oh, we're going off with this uh, this other session guy. He's a keyboard player. I think he's pretty good. Rick Wakeman. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, he Rick, did it right. Yeah. yeah. So, and they did really well. But again, I haven't heard from them in years and no. years. Were you still doing um, the, the sessions at Pi when you formed uh, the Sludge Gulpers? The Sludge Gulpers? No, I think... Yeah, I can't even remember where I went from. I started singing a bit with Kenny Baxter up at the Top Alex Club. Okay. And oh, what happened then? Sard Harker. Uh, Andy would. Andy may not remember Sard Harker. Andy Price because he met me when we was in Granny. Okay. But what turned into Granny was Sard Harker, and they came from a band called City. It's all coming back to me now. Well, this is great. This is what I'm here for. <laughs> this is stretching my memory. <laughs> so, yeah, that was what happened. I joined City, and they were like a progressive rock band, all original material. And that was great. But the lead guitarist, Del Romang, and he's not playing anymore. All I know about him now is he's got his own fishing tackle business okay. he invented something and became a millionaire so he don't talk to me now no no no, no, no. that's low life <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> so we formed this thing called Saad Harker which was an acoustic band the first acoustic band I'd been in and it was the first when I got back into playing guitar I thought I'd given up guitar but acoustic guitar it's a totally different technique Love it. that sits with me quite well yeah and learned a little bit of finger style and Learned the rest of the chords, other than the, the three that I knew. <laughs> three? What's, what's your secret? What's your third one? <laughs> so B seven. B seven. Oh, yeah. B seven. Of course, yeah. So that then, so like we, it was great being an acoustic band, but you, I, I still felt like I wanted a rock, and there was just there was just two guitars. Del and I sang, and his wife Beverly, she was like the the girl. She was good, and Kevin Brunt on drums. So Kevin and me decided we want to get a bit heavier. So that okay. was the start of Sludge Gulper. Okay. And we got in a guy called Graham Hedgegrove, Gruff. He's gone as well. Okay. Still the best guitarist I've ever played with. He was unbelievable. He was yeah. just so different. And Ron Bailey, we had on bass. And then that became Granny Grunt's Knitting, knitting Circle. Knitting Circle, was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> and then Granny Grunt. And then Granny, and I think that Granny came from when we joined Dick James Music. Yep. We signed to them, and they said, you've got to drop the grunt. <laughs> the grunt Fair went, enough. we became Granny. And at that time, 1972, correct me if I'm wrong, but but that that was sort of Elton John was, was signed to that record label at that yeah. time. There's a few others, but I have yeah, I ran out of time with my research on... Yeah, there was a DJ. few others. There was a, a band called Hookfoot. Um, there was Shawadi Wadi. They were involved. I'm not sure if they were on the lab. They were certainly an offshoot of Dick James Music. And then Dick James also started a film company, Dick James Music Films. Okay. And our track, one of our tracks featured in the film. And that was great. That was great to have some in the yeah, movie. Yeah, definitely. So a couple of us went to the, probably the South End Odeon at the time, and sat all through the film and all through the end, really, just to see our credits come up. <laughs> and we sat right to the very end of the lights came on and they never ever mentioned they Granny. They never mentioned you. But we were in the film. There was a disco 
part in the film with uh, Roy Kinnear dancing around. And he said, oh, this music's really finky, isn't it? And that's what we we got famous for, being finky. Being finky. <laughs> yeah. So you, um, did you record an album? You had three singles that were ready for release. That's right. We were recording an album. Weirdy Deirdre's... Weirdy Deirdre's Dilemma, which was on yep. the B-side of Lady. Lady. And we were rec- the next single was scheduled to be Witch's Daughter. Yep. And we were recording an album. There were several tracks laid down. Okay. And I decided to quit Grammy. Oh, it was you? Yeah. Because I saw, I noticed that you, you you were on the brink of releasing the album, and then, yeah. or, or at least, you know, those singles. Um, yeah, Tell Me What You Want was another one that you Tell recorded. Me What You Want. I'd forgotten about um, that one. That was yeah, great, yeah, Dick James Records. Um, yeah, We're the Deirdre's Dilemma, Lady, and Tell Me What You Want. Um, and you were on the brink of that. So it was your decision to, to Yeah, do we, what happened, we had a management company looking after us. Dick James wanted a manager, but we had uh, a company looking after us. Uh, but they decided to sell, they called us to a meeting and they were selling us to some bunch of people who I had okay. no idea who they were. So I just got up and said, nah, I'm off. You feel like you're losing control of yeah, your... Yeah, I just didn't like being a commodity mm. to be sold. And I'd always wanted to get a record out. I yeah. wanted to be fame. I wanted to be a millionaire rock star. Of course, yeah, who didn't? Um, but I found that the road that may, that may or may not lead you there, I mean, really, there's only a five percent chance of making it even when you do all that stuff absolutely well this just isn't worth it this isn't isn't what i want at all when that happens you become like um a commodity to be sold as you say yeah you lose your creative control you don't i feel like i spoke to um john summerton from flintlock and he said oh yeah i don't know you but he said um the same he said they were lucky they they went with a a deal that was a lot less than they were offered Mm. but they were allowed more creative control and I suppose as an artist, that's the most important thing because you're the one with the vision. You're the one with the idea exactly. of how you see the band going. Yeah. And you got somebody in a suit telling you what to write and where to where to send yeah. it. You lose your creative control. So I suppose that's a decision that's a no-brainer for yourself. Well, really, yeah. It's just you know exactly what you want to do, and you see so many. I mean. The, we were just in front of the plastic band situation. You know where you've got bands who clearly were just record company bands. Yeah, thrown together. You, know, you see the adverts in the Melody Maker. Yeah. A good-looking guy who can sing a bit wanted. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. And there was so many of those about, and I just didn't want to be a part of that. And we were already kind of... Edit- I think we had already begun to head down that road. Yeah. We were turning into a band, I thought, that weren't very good. Right. Uh, that started off, potentially, it was a fantastic band. It really, really was good. And some great musicians, but we started deteriorating because of the expectations of what we should be doing. Yeah, you think you, you're writing or, or recording to a certain sound, yeah, maybe. exactly. And the record producer, who was a great, great record producer, Kaplan Kay, yeah. he had his ideas, and it was kind of his idea. I'd say what I thought we should be doing, and mm. he'd say, no, you don't want to do that, you want to do this. Mm. Thought, no, I don't. If I'd wanted to do that, I would have said that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, I think... So that was where I quit that, and shortly after, well, Skint heard that I'd packed in Granny, and they're a pub band, and they said, Want to, do you want to want to do it with us? Yeah. And I thought, yeah, great. And it was terrific going back into a pub and they had some original material. We did a couple of my songs and it was kind of it was kind of developing. So that that was a good thing. I think being true to yourself is as as you say, I mean they'll always tell you you should sound a certain way and you should sound this, but yeah. but I think as an artist, the ones that kind of succeed are, are the ones who are true to themselves. You look at the quo, the Rolling Stones, yeah. the ones 
they, they, you know what you're going to get when you buy one of their albums. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there's a story actually about Thin Lizzy when they, they released a, an album and a bloke in a suit said, You can do better than this. And of course, he went away and wrote, Don't believe a word. And, and, and yeah. so, in some cases, it kind of made them, it got them away from the complacency of thinking yeah. we can do the same thing and it'll be all right. Yeah. Um, but that's important, I think, to any, particularly songwriters, yeah. that you want it recorded. It's the, the nicest thing about being able to just release our stuff these days and being able to put it out there is we can do what we want, really. Well, that's right, yeah. Um, I think there's a lacking now of good management. Now, I mean, back in those days, there were good managers. Yeah. I mean, the guy who made the kinks what they were, I mean, he he came along with some good advice, yep. helped them get them pointed in the right direction. He didn't change the direction. He just saw what they were and got them there. It's like Brian Epstein with the yeah. Beatles. Yeah. I mean, he saw them for what they needed to be, and he did make some changes. Didn't change their music, No. but, but he brought them out. Smartened them up. Smartened them up and... Well, look what happened. And yeah. That's all, uh, really Whatever happened done. to them? Did they do all right? Yeah. You know, I'm not sure. We still play some of their tunes just to help them out. You yeah, know? just to give them a bit of royalties exactly, now and again. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what fascinates me about Granny. I'm going to call them Granny Grunt. Yeah. Uh, purely and simply because, although you, you were together in the early 70s, mm. I've seen posters and, and bill things for, for sort of 76, 77. Did you reform after that? Yeah, or? we did a reunion with, okay. with the... Actually, it was the original lineup less the drama okay. because unfortunately Kevin died in the. I can't remember when it was, but he died before we started the reunions. Okay. So we got a local drum, Bob Clout. Right. Bob Clout has been another guy. I don't know if you've spoken to him yet. He's been everywhere. I'm He's done everything. I'll add him to the list. <laughs> yeah, add him to your list. And He's, then you would have been part of that scene because I've done a lot of research about the Flying Shoulders and yeah. uh, the. The, used to be the Prohibition in Pitsy and the, the Langdon right. Hotel and yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, and you were doing that circuit. Were you, yeah. were you still? Was it just a, a bit of fun, or were you were you looking to release some new material or try and get out there again? Or? Well, it was after Granny. I, I was doing it for fun, but there's always there was still that drive there that I wanted to do something. So did Dave Bronze, obviously. Yeah, he was on the. He was very ambitious, but I'm not sure that. I think we kind of overstretched the band because I'm not sure they was actually as ambitious as us to go the way mm. we wanted to go so that was why Skint ended and they still don't agree with us but they chucked out they well they didn't they chucked out Dave and me Dave Bronze and me they said they never did what they actually did was sit there and said we're leaving and okay. I said you can't leave it's your band <laughs> <laughs> we'll go but they deny this to this day Paul because I'm working with Paul, Paul Milligan he yeah. said no I don't remember that yeah well you <laughs> stayed friends at the end of it oh we're still good friends things come yeah. full circle yeah um, yeah it just, just fascinated me I thought because when I did some research it said oh you split up in 1973 and I thought no you were on posters in 77, 78 so you were doing yeah. something there was, there with was that lineup. Stuff coming on, and also I think they did some stuff with another singer. Um, I do recall. I, don't know, I think I saw them in a pub. Okay. Um, to my surprise, and they had some different vocalists with them. Um, so they did. So there were various things. I mean, they they went on for a little while, and then we put it back together for a little while. But really, only a couple of gigs. It wasn't much. Some, it's nice to do that, though. Yeah, it was good. Were you the playing last... those songs, by the way? Were you, or was uh, it just we played it? some of the originals because Gruff came back because he, with Granny, by the time it was Granny, uh, Gruff, Graham Edgegrove had gone and we had Steve Weeks on lead guitar. Okay. Um, but in the, the, ref the reformation of it, Gruff came back, but we didn't have Kevin. Yeah. Um, uh, 
we did some of the original stuff because Gruff wrote a lot of the songs. Right. In the early days, um, we did. Then we did some whatever was current at the time. We did a Prince "Purple Rain" by Prince. Okay. We did a, some weird version of that that suited us. <laughs> <laughs> but you have you have that chemistry within. You know, it, it's it's like in the music industry, you have that chemistry with a certain lineup that you can never recapture when somebody that's leaves. right and yeah. like you said you know you didn't have kevin in. maybe the, the, the they just have a way of playing i've read about genesis on tour and they don't have phil collins behind the kit no. so that, and he plays them the way they're absolutely that's meant right. to be played yeah. so i understand you know the the, the chemistry of a band and then yeah. when you for, for whatever reason you lose somebody in, in that case it's a it's a tragic reason a sad reason yeah but when you reform it you you have to kind of so we'll go in a different direction because maybe to play what you played wouldn't feel the same. Exactly. And would maybe be too it. painful emotionally sometimes. Yeah. So you have to kind of say, well, we'll do, we'll reform the band, but we'll do something different. Yeah. So that's sort of, uh, were you doing any other? Because I've got, you, you've got so many things that you've done, the Deadbeat Soul Band, the Chaos Brothers. Yeah. Were you doing that at that particular time as well? Or what but, were you doing apart from reforming Granny Grunt? Well, I've, in about 80, well, I went solo. Yeah. I used to do cabaret on my own with playing guitar, vocals, and a drum machine. Okay. I did that for quite a long time. And that I did for money. Because mm. I'd started, weren't playing professionally anymore. I'd got a job, and it was a good job. Yeah. I ended up owning part of the company. It was Adam Hall. We used to supply, well, well they still do. They supply a lot of stuff to the music industry. Okay. So I was doing that. But when I started there, the money wasn't great. So I, I heard some friends going out and playing solo and they were earning quite a lot of money yeah so i used to go out sort of four gigs a week and i was actually earning quite a lot more than i was earning in the, the day job yeah uh, which helped because i got good at the job i was doing in the day he didn't want to lose me yeah so they get to then say well you know we'll pay you more then you don't have to do that <laughs> so that was good but it all started happening again in sort of early 2000s when the, the company, there was, because it was a music type company, there was a lot of musicians. So that was what formed the Deadbeats. We became this sort of, we had brass players. Uh, one of the brass players was a chef who used to work occasionally for the company, Nobby the chef. Didn't speak a word of English, he was German. But um, he was one of the sax players. Our accountant was one of the sax players. It was just all guys from the firm. Rob Fricker, another name in, quite a big name in the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, he was on guitar, sometimes on bass, and he, Rob, came with us into the Chaos Brothers, where he played, yep. played drums. <laughs> so he, he moved about a bit. It's funny how it evolves. Yeah. Sometimes, if you're part of that circuit, I mean, I, I was amazed. And I'm going to use a word. How incestuous it was mm. when I'm reading back uh, to the Flying Childers and stuff. Hey, you have Andy and Neville in Glider with Dave Bronze, yeah. and then Bronzy's been in Skint with you, and then yeah. you know you're forming Granny Grunt, and you end up with with Paul. And then there's a, there's another Paul, Paul Shuttleworth. Paul Shuttleworth. Was, Kur, was it Kurzel yeah. Flyers? Kurzel Flyers. Yeah. Uh, was Vic Collins a Kurzel Flyers? Vic Collins was a Kurzel Flyers. Yeah. Flyer, so yeah. and they're they're sort of mixing with you, and yeah. everybody knows each other. So bands kind yeah. of just evolve you suddenly sort of go well let's have a knockabout in a studio and and then you sort of well, might as well do something with this that's right because you've done everything in as much as you've entertained on your own you've probably been yeah. part of duos you've done yeah. acoustic stuff on your own and probably in restaurants i'm sure you've done that oh yeah and you've done full bands you've done eight piece soul bands you've done everything um just to get off the beaten track a bit what's the what's the most exciting project that you were part of in terms of just the overall Sound not necessarily financially, but the most that would have been Freddie Mac, the Freddie Mac extravaganza. Just a young kid, just going out, just and a kid, and going out, 
playing in Europe. It was just fantastic. And because it was such a big band, um, you'd all you got on with someone all the time. Yeah. I mean, I've still got friends who were in that band from back then. Yeah. Um, it was such a good time for well, I was 17, 18 years old. Um, it was amazing. Like well, a big even family, I isn't it? It's a big family, isn't it? Yeah, like it a, was a big family. Yeah. And just all kind of, I mean, it was dark, the go-go girls. I mean, you know, we'd be in the dressing room, there was two go-go girls, two of the girls. It's just, you know, <laughs> so you don't get Terrible, that. isn't it? And it's it's terrible. awful. To, yeah. Someone's got to do it. So, it was yeah. just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so you kept, you kept busy, really, all the way through. And let's fast forward a bit, maybe 81, 82. Mm. So um, there's a few other things I've got as well. Um, which were, tell me a little bit about the Stray Cool Cats. That's a little bit further on. That's yeah. probably 2008, nine, something yeah, like something that. Yeah, something like that, yeah. And um, you, you were busy with that. You were doing yeah, stuff. Yeah, again, they brought an album out when I was with them. We had um, Lee Hodgson on lead guitar. He's obviously, you've obviously know heard of Everyone knows yeah, Lee Hodgson. Fantastic that. guitarist. Yep. And John mm. Sperling on bass. And John, again, is a quite a name in the local industry. Uh, guy called Justin Ware on drums and I'm not in touch with Justin but he was a really good drummer and he sang as well that's what I always like in a band where everyone can sing mm. and that's a good thing with the, the current boomers everyone is a lead vocalist mm. uh, it's great so the, the Stray Call Cats it was a similar circuit to what I'm doing now with the management um, it, it wasn't as good it was a great band yeah. but it wasn't a fun band when people the when you hear the noise about the management, they're all having it at such a good time. Yeah. Whereas the Stray Call Cats was a great band, but you wouldn't look at us and say, well, they're having a good time. Yeah. And we'd all pack up our gear and there wouldn't be any conversation. No, just serious, yeah. serious music. Maybe taking it a bit too seriously. A bit too seriously. Like. Whereas the management, yeah. it's hard to get around to packing up the gear. You know, yeah. I'm packing up and the singer's talking. So it would be talking for an hour or somebody. Yeah. It's just a totally different environment I always like that though, I, I was, like it you know I've, I've heard I've heard so much about uh, legends of, of this industry and they always seem to tell the same story people like Paul Egham he'd stand mm. and talk to people for an hour after the gig didn't yeah. care, wasn't worried about getting home yeah and I've always found that I'm people said that I'm a people person as much as it doesn't matter what time I get home it matters yeah. that at the end of the gig if somebody wants to shake my hand and I won't you know, I'm a, yeah, I haven't got time for that. I talk to him, and and I know when I get home, she's going to say to me, oh, "Where you been?" Yeah, you know, but it's more important that you, everybody goes home, taking a little piece of you with them to a certain extent. Yeah, that's Cause right. The management seemed like a real fun band, I and mean, I've seen I've seen footage of you guys in suits. I've seen you in Beach yeah. Boys sort of Hawaiian yeah. shirts. And so, is do you have different themed nights that you do, or is it no. just something that you all sort of go, "We'll have a bit of fun tonight"? Or no, if you was to come and see us at any gig, we'd start off with black suits, black shirts, and either red silk ties or blue. If it's a conservative club, it'll be blue silk yeah, ties. Yeah, you've got to play the game. Yeah, <laughs> and in the second half, you'll see us in the Hawaiian shirt. So that's kind of, until we change the format, that's that's the way we look wherever we go. Great to do, though. Yeah, and it, it's, it stands us out from other bands doing the same circuit, because yeah. not many bands will do that now. In fact, I've been trying for years, since Freddie Mac, to get everyone in suits. And the only time I kind of achieved it was with the Chaos Brothers, because mm -hmm. even Dave Bronze, I said, look, we're all going to wear black suits, white shirts and black ties. He went straight down to choice, I think it was at the time, <laughs> and got himself a black suit. And we all had different black suits, whereas the management, we decided to wear black suits, black, black suits and black shirts. One of us got appointed to buy the suits, 
So we're all the same. And someone else got the black shirts. I've got the ties. <laughs> and someone else got the Hawaiian shirts. So we've all got exactly the same. And that is such an achievement nowadays, I find, because... People always say, oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind. And then when it comes down to it, how much you've got to spend? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's I think you've all played the game, so you all yeah. understand that you speculate to accumulate. Exactly. I mean, I've been in bands where you know you, you, you bought a PA together. Yeah. One of you owned the speaker. And, yeah. one, and then when the band splits up, it's like, well, you've got to buy me out. Yeah. You've got to buy my speaker off me if you want to. And you think, what's going on here? Yeah. Not anymore, fortunately, because yeah. I, I own everything now. Well, oddly enough, with the <clears> Boomers, Dave, Dave and I owned half the PA each. When... Uh, Dave decided that the boomers were kind of finished during lockdown, so I bought Dave's half of the PA. Okay. But now uh, the drag is now, it's all mine. When the boomers go out again, I've got the whole responsibility. You, yeah, it's PA. all on you now. It's all on me. But with the management, it's their PA belongs to the band. And when other members who've gone, who paid for that, they got their money back. Mm. But the band owns it. I've never paid anything for them. The management PA, but it's all been paid for. It's all there. So you think that comes from obviously the professionalism, the amount of experience you've got on the stage. I think it does. And then you, you look at each other and go, "This is how we want to do it," and everyone yeah. sort of goes, "Oh, we did that when we were here. I did. I've done that before." There's nothing you haven't seen, really. Yeah. In as much as the experience on the stage. That's right. So if someone says, "I'll get the suits," it'll all look the same. It's it's just it's an obvious professional attitude. Yeah. Kids don't have until, you know, you can't you can't buy experience. You have to. You have to live. Yeah. So you're still writing songs. Uh, Caravan yeah. on Canvey Island. Yeah. This is the one that keeps cropping up. Everybody keeps telling me about, about <laughs> Not everybody. I don't get stopped in the street. But no. people that have seen you. Um, you've got, uh, yeah, Caravan on Canvey Island. So you're still writing songs. Have you always continued to write songs? Or has it just been, a, 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 I'm going to use the word spasmodic, but I'm not sure if that's right. But in as much as here and there you it comes and goes or kind of, nowadays it's kind of here and there I, it, I go through periods of inspiration um back in granny it was the job to write songs that yeah. was one of the pressures i to be honest that really got to me with the pressure mm. of having to write songs you make it an album we still got to fill the album up yeah of course that was tough um after granny i just started when an inspiration come along i'd write 20 30 songs mm. um with caravan on canvey island I, I was inspired that came in about 1975 um, it, I'd always had it in the back of my mind because it's a true story. I mean, that really happened to me, okay. the whole thing. There isn't a verse in it that isn't true. It's the right. way it was. Um, so it was in the back of my mind, but I saw a guy, Chris, I can't, not even, Chris Staines or something. He used to go out playing acoustic. He'd, he'd busk on South End High Street back in okay. the early 70s. And I saw him at... Um, some folk club. I got into folk music for a while, be partly because of him. And I saw a guy called Vin Garber, who he's famous for being so obscure, but he's okay. fantastic. He's gone, isn't he? Another guy who's gone. So it was folk music started inspiring me again. I, I saw a way of writing Caravan on Canvey Island because of folk music. It was this guy, Chris. I, thought, I saw the way he wrote songs. I thought, I could do that. And he'd, some of his songs, he would actually nick melodies quite yeah it was not uh, undercover it was i've clearly <laughs> you know i've clearly put my words to babyface I've, I've done the same thing i wrote a song about basildon and the chorus is is babyface basildon oh please don't make me go about it. <laughs> and there was another i wrote about the norfolk broads and i nicked the the chorus from roy harper 
the Watford Gap okay. it became the Norfolk Broad. So with folk music, it seemed okay. Yeah, there's a lot of that going to on. do that. Yeah. yeah, and you're not actually stealing it because you're kind of borrowing it. And if it, if you make any money from it, then you pay those guys. Yeah. Caravan on Caravan is all mine. Totally yours. <laughs> it's all all yours. Yeah. <laughs> I won't put any of the others onto a record. So you. When you say about the pressure of writing songs, obviously you, the pressure's on you as a songwriter to write the album. Yeah. Um, songwriting techniques, has it changed much over the years? Are you lyrics first? Is it just an idea, a small hook? Lyrics for me now. Lyrics first. Yeah, I have to have an idea about what I'm going to write about, uh, an inspiration to do that. Um, back in back in the 60s and 70s, I was writing pretty much protest songs, heavy rock protest songs. Where's it all going to end? Yeah, yeah. Uh, up the tube and down the dust pipe, stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> it was all really about what was going on in the world, so it was all a bit depressing. It would even it'd be even worse now if I was doing songs like that, so I won't. No. I can't, I, you I, haven't written a song about the lockdown, then? No. You've resisted I, the I, temptation. No. I wrote a song about Ronnie. The last <laughs> protest song I wrote, the, Ronnie Regan and Maggie Thatcher were in the words. And that was the last time. And I listen to it now, and it embarrasses me. I'm like, well, I don't want to do that anymore. Nice. So now I'm looking for up things, uh, spiritual stuff. I, I, I went for a period where I wrote probably 30 or 40 spiritual songs, and I love them, and I mm. play some of them occasionally. Mm. Um, I just It has to be a good inspiration now. I mean, I'm tempted sometimes with, what, with the stuff that goes on, you know, Trump and all the all the crap that oh, goes yeah. on in the, the pandemic. But there's other people doing that. Yeah. And let them do it. They do a good job of it. And they they don't... Listening to their songs doesn't bring me down. No. I think I would write songs that would probably make it worse for people. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think you know your colours to the mast as well. And, and, yeah. and in, in, in today's society, with, oh, these, yeah, it's with keyboard actually. warriors, yeah. you release a song that makes a, a statement on anything. All of a sudden, you've got people telling you you shouldn't say this, you shouldn't yeah. say that. My, my daughter's 14. I don't get away with anything. I can't no. say someone's this, I can't say someone's that. Not that I do, people, good people at home, but she's got six friends, none of them know what, what sexual orientation they are. No. One of them's he, one of them's she, one of them's them. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm scared to write the song about anything except yes. yeah. what I know about, you know, I maybe write something about 25 years ago because if I start talking about today, somebody's gonna say, why did you refer to them as they? Or why did why have you write these yeah. songs about Trump? Did you know he's a tyrant? Did you know he's a war criminal? Yeah, it's just a song, mate. Yeah, you know it really is, and um, so I, I just it terrifies me. It does me. I mean, it's like if you, I won't, I do nothing personal on Facebook. Mm. I only, all I'll do is advertise the band on yeah. or something about the band. I never make any comments. Never no. tell anyone anything about me because. It, you're putting yourself on a platform where someone out there, or maybe a lot of people out there, are going to try and knock you down or get angry about Absolutely. what you said. So I won't do that. I won't write songs anymore that might make people angry. No, it's 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 crazy. I don't understand the world I live in at times, Bob. But you do. I don't understand the world I live in. In as much as if you're doing this job for for a living, you're effectively like a limited company, and mm. you don't get these limited companies putting outside vote this, vote Tory, vote that, because no. it divides their audience straight away. And I've, I've talked about this when I've, when I've given advice or spoken to people who are coming up in the industry, not that I'm a role model, because I look up to people like yourself, but I'd always say there are songs that you don't do. Never, yeah. never, never sing I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles at any venue, anywhere, <laughs> yeah. no matter how many people ask you, because you know that when, once you do that, 
half the people are going to hate you yeah. and half the people are going to love you, yeah. but it divides the room. So as a songwriter, it's so hard to find, even if you've got a really strong idea, to find a theme that's kind of squeaky clean. Nobody can take any. And Caravan right. and Canvey Island is fine. Nobody's yeah. got that. Unless people at Canvey are saying, hang on a minute, you know. But. Well, I think it's good for the, you know, there's <laughs> nothing bad. This is the thing that's nothing bad about. Unfortunately, it's not right about Buzzwood, which people still love. I've heard it, Bob. That was you, you was it? it? Yeah, yeah I lived in Buzzwood at the time. And, um, yeah. It's funny, it's funny <laughs> and it's meant to be funny. Yeah. But it was my experience living in Buzzwood. I mean, that's the way it was. I used to, when... When Granny was, when we signed to DJM and money, so one of the things DJM said, you've got to stop working. Because yeah. we, we were working eight gigs a week. We'd do every night and we'd do Sunday lunchtimes. It was all the lo social clubs all over the country, really. But, and we did a Northern tour. Okay. We bought white suits to do a, Nuva, a Northern tour up in the Northern clubs. And DJM said, oh, you've got to stop that. So we stopped that. No money coming in. So yeah. I got a job. That job was maintaining the street lighting in Basildon. Oh, okay. So I know everything, all what I told you. <laughs> so <laughs> it's true. And it sends up Basildon. Um, and I think it still it's still. Right. Yeah, I play it to the Basildon crowd. I wasn't offended. No. But I did write, write one about South End when that guy, DeSavory or whatever it was, was going to put a marina in South End. Okay. I wrote that. And they played it on Essex Radio. I got interviewed a couple of times on Essex Radio. And they played it. I can't play it now. It's totally irrelevant. Mm. It was so much in... It was in politics of the time. Mm. You can't play it anymore. That thing you said about a song that you wrote, that Ronnie Reagan and whatever, it's, it was relevant then. It meant something to you then. Yeah, it was relevant. And uh, it was... I wasn't really annoyed at politics. I just couldn't believe the people... I couldn't believe that America was ran by... A film star, yeah. a film idol, and yeah. everything that they said about it, everything that showed him. I, mean, I remember him on Spitting Image, and probably that that made us think of him in a certain way. Mm. Um, and I just worried about the people who were in power with their fingers on the button. That was what it was for me back then. Yeah. The fingers on the button. Yeah, I mean, I was a kid then, and I yeah. remember thinking these these people are lunatics, and they've yeah. got the red button there. What's going on? You so know? that's what I was writing about, you know. But there's been worse people. And I stopped writing because it's so bad. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? it, 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 it's so bad and so believable. You don't want to make it any worse. No, you're just <laughs> jumping on the bandwagon. In the exactly. End, everybody yeah. else. So, um, as you say, lyrics first and a good idea. Yeah. And then, is it just do do you kind of scat sing along with your lyric, or do you? Yeah. Or you have a melody that you religiously make the. What What I try to do is write some verses that stand up, a bit of rhyming as well. Okay. There, if I can, um, and then I try to find a tune that goes with them and trying not to do something some I mean I've often fallen over and finished something and someone said oh do you know what that tune is and, oh yeah I see so I've had to go back to the drawing yeah. board so it's generally that it's an idea um, I wrote one for I wrote one for the Chaos Brothers um, it was about the way I saw the band well, with the Chaos Brothers I tried to bring people back to the 60s playing in the Flamingo and the marquee. So I wrote a song about that, you know, let's jump in the van, you know, there's a million girls waiting out there for us, put on your shades and all that stuff. And it was just the idea of, I'd get that picture in my head and I could really get together and write a song on that. And then with something like that, the the music came automatically because yeah. it came right back out of the, the 60s, Georgie fame, Zoot Money yeah. and all that stuff. And it just it just comes. If you're lucky, if I'm lucky, 
that's what happens. But something, I mean, I've had this one, I've been working on a song about Leon C for six years now, since I've lived there. Okay. And uh, my wife keeps censoring the words. <laughs> she said, you can't say that. <laughs> You'll offend a lot of people. <laughs> so I can't say that. So that just kind of sits there. And that's kind of where I am at the moment. I can't, I can't see if I finish anything because I'm, I suppose it's being offensive. And I do tend, at the moment, I'm thinking locally about writing songs and writing songs from my own experience. The experience I've had in music, I've kind of written most of the things I want to write about that. Mm. Um, yeah, I'll mate. probably get around to writing a song about social clubs eventually and try not to offend anybody. Well, it's hard. <laughs> it's I've been hard. offended in so many social clubs. <laughs> yeah. uh, to be fair, I've probably offended more than my fair share of people. Um, some songs write themselves, though. You look at the lyric oh, and yeah. you think, this is a fast song. This is a, yeah. uh, this is a happy song. This is a ballad. Is that kind of thing. I've worked with enough songwriters over the years and, and they bring a lyric in and say, can we work something? And you think, well, it's this, this obviously a ballad. It's probably a three, four, the way the lyrics are written out. Yeah. Although Elton John famously has a lyric first. Yeah. Um, the Bee Gees have the uh, music first and then make the lyric fit. That's right, yeah. um, I always find that, that, that there are so many different ways of doing it. And I've found that the songs over the years that you read about that are the most successful are the five minuters. Yeah. And the ones that you spend weeks slaving over. They're the ones that are bad, yeah. People don't hear it as it's written, you know. It's yeah. one of those things. It's, I think you hear music the same way as you write it, if you're lucky enough to do this. Um, you write something and you think, where is this coming from? I'm just a channel for this idea. It's like, that just wrote itself. I don't know where it came from. You, yeah. You'd have definitely had that over the oh, years yeah. where you suddenly write something and you read it back and think, wow, that doesn't feel like it was me. It just sort of... Somebody said all the songs are out there like helium balloons, and we kind yeah. of grab one. And I don't know because yeah. you, as you said, you're quite a spiritual person. Yeah. So I believe that that the songs are out there, and we, we oh, just yeah. kind of grab one. Yeah. And pull it down, and then we're the vehicle for that to to get out there. Yeah. Where do you stand on that? Do you think there's a certain amount of truth in that? If you think, well, yeah, I mean, there must be. Or that for sp spiritual songs. I mean, they they have come to me out of, out of the ether. It was because of. I suppose when you, when I first became spiritual, I got, I'll go, I got born again. I became a Christian, born again Christian okay. in the mid seventies. That was one of the kind of what was behind probably me leaving Granny. There was already the rumbling going on, but that was the final decision. Mm. You know, I can live without this. I can do something else. So, and the inspiration that came from that was massive. It was a massive thing that happened in my life. So mm. the inspiration was massive. Um, I suppose Canvey Island was a massive thing because that was my that was my life back when I was about ten, yeah. up until thirteen years old or so. That was my whole life was going to Canvey Island for all my holidays every weekend. Thorny Bay, Thorny Bay holiday camp. Yeah. The caravan was called Trudy, <laughs> <laughs> and it's those for me. It's those things. I I, I can't. You listen to Paul McCartney or Stevie Wonder, the way they write songs, they can sit at a piano, throw me an idea, mm. and they'll turn it into a song in minutes. That, to me, they're special people. Mm. That's there's something, there's something odd about those people who can do yeah. that. They're, yeah. they're not normal. No, they come Thankfully, from somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I've always think they, they yeah. come from somewhere else. I've worked, I work with a young lady, Anna, and um, Anna is a, she's 15, she writes songs, and they're great, but she can't make herself write a song she no. uses it as like a therapy sort of thing i mean teenage girl 15 16 yeah, going through all sorts of stuff and she uses yeah. her songs as uh, as a way of maybe yeah, this invisible person that, that yeah. you talk to you know what i mean yeah and um 
And yet I said to her, if, you, if you're going to do this and you really want to, to get a career in music, you need to be able to force yourself to write something because people are going to come to you and say, mm. can I have a song? Can I commission a song? Yeah. You've got to be able to create it when it doesn't come to you to, yeah. to maybe tap into something. It won't mean as much and it won't feel the same, but they'll go, I'm happy. Yeah. And, you know, and I always feel like the people that can knock songs out, Paul McCartney just knocked songs out. Yeah. Not to say his stuff wasn't meaningful, but, you know. Yeah, he just turns them out. You yeah. knock them out. Yeah. And, and um, I can't do that. I'm very yeah. similar in as much as I write 10 songs and have six months where I don't do anything. Yeah. And then it comes back to me. But the, the, the spiritual stuff, as you said, it just. And it's like a, um, a diary of your life. When you listen yeah. to those songs, they, every single song that you, that you write, or most of the songs that you've written, they mean something to you. Yeah. It's not it's, like you've put yourself in a position and said, oh, how would it feel to be there? No, that's right. It's some, it was another one that's just come to mind again. Well, there's a couple that come to mind. One of them with Granny, I wrote a song called Pizza with the Works. Pizza with the Works. And that was because there was this fantastic pizza place, one of the first in the country, or in this part of the country, next door to the Curzel, the pizza area, oh, right. back in the 70s. I used to spend quite a lot of time because we was either playing there or we were supporting someone or going to see someone there. And then always out, we come out of the Curzel, we'd go and have a pizza in this place, pizza, pizza area. And the, the pizzas were fantastic. I'd never had a pizza like that. I'd never had many pizzas, probably. <laughs> Maybe I'd never had a pizza. Maybe you never <laughs> had one before. <laughs> so that turned into a song, Pizza With The Works, because it was a bit, again, a big event. I, I read a, one of the first books I really got stuck into was a Robert Einlein book, um, Glory Road. Okay. And it really spoke to me and I ended up as a song, Glory Road. And it was pretty, about three verses, but based on the song. Mm. Um, I got inspired once by seagulls of all things, just seagulls flying around, I just in South End and the noise they were making and the way the sun reflected on them, it became a night on the ocean. So those, I used to get those inspirations. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, I suppose I think it's part of getting older. As well. for me, um, I just don't see those things mm. anymore. I wish you I see did. the world in a different way. Yeah. maybe you, you get. I think. I mean, I, I'm far more melancholy at 48 than I was at 28. Mm. You know, and, and I don't see. I'm not the angry young man anymore. Yeah. I'm not the passionate young man I was. I've got kids now. I've grown up a bit, and and the things that used to bother me don't bother me anymore. And I think for as a songwriter. Um, it's so hard to, because I think if you tap into that again, you feel like a fraud. You feel like some old man yeah. telling everybody this is, yeah, this is how you need to behave. Yeah. So it's, um, I think Pete Townsend said when he, he sang um, The Kids Are Alright, and he said it's really <laughs> strange to sing it when you're not a kid anymore. Yeah. You know, you evolve and you're a parent, yeah, and yeah. a grandparent in this case. You know? Well, we find that with covering some. I mean, we cover quite a few songs where we probably shouldn't. I mean, there's one called The Redancer that was by Marmalade about a guy goes to a dance hall in the northern soul sort of thing goes to a dance hall sees a girl she was probably 16 maybe more you know, weird. <laughs> that's not Carrie Ann talking about when you oh, was at yeah. school yeah. yeah there's a couple we do like that and you think yeah I don't know and Joe, Joe Brown used to talk about playing these songs he'd say how come how come Marty Wilde sing only 16 now yeah teenager in love uh, your memories of the Curzel, unfortunately, by the time I came along, it wasn't really a, a concert venue no. anymore. Bowling Alley, I think, by the yeah. time I came along. Yeah. But a legendary venue, and you played uh, it a few times. Yeah, I played quite a few times. In fact, the last last gig I ever did there was with Granny, and we were supposed to be second on the bill to Deep Purple. Oh, 
okay. and Deep Purple, we got set up, Deep Purple ain't coming. Oh. We've got another band coming, but you're going to have to fill in until this other band gets. So there was all the Deep Purple audience there. I said, but they're going to rip us apart. He said, no, he said, we've given them all their money back and they get to stay. So they're getting a free concert, basically. And it was just, it was an unbelievable evening. They used to have a balcony and apparently this balcony was moving about two or three feet at a time. Wow. You know? And I saw some great bands. I saw family there, Roger Chapman and family. We supported the peddlers there. Do you remember the peddlers? I've heard of them. I've yeah, not... go way back. And they were a great little group, but they they borrowed our PA, so they didn't have a PA suitable for the curves, whereas okay. we were doing that kind of venue. So they borrowed our gear, and it was just a great, great venue. There's Doctor Feelgood live at the curves. Yeah, '97. Great film. Yeah. Yeah, well, Wilco. You, that's right. <laughs> that walking thing. Yeah, yeah. You ever met Wilco? You, you I met? knew him well, yeah. Cause yeah. We, we were resident at Goldmine on Canvey. They were resident at Cloud Nine. And we used to, we were a Canvey band at right. the time, and as the, the feel goods were. And Wilco and Lee used to turn up at all our rehearsals. We'd rehearse around Kevin's house, the drummer's house okay. on Canvey. And they'd always turn up and do something or other and they'd lay on the floor in front of the speakers listening to us the only mention Wilco's ever done for me is he mentioned oh there were other bands writing songs about spaceships to the moon that was one of mine <laughs> we were writing rock and roll and back at the time I've got to say I didn't have a great deal of respect for them because we were a progressive band they were a rock and roll band and I thought they were part of a bit of history you know mm. But it just goes to show, doesn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. Because I mean, Canvey was a bit of a hotbed at that time. I People was. talk about Basildon with Alison Moyer, Depeche Mode, and, yeah. and the Pinkies, and uh, Rob Marlowe was one. And the, but Canvey Island as well produced a lot of yeah, uh, a lot of bands that, that that exactly what I'm researching the grassroots stuff, the ones yeah. that maybe had one or two albums out. I mean, Doctor Feelgood are a different, mm. you know, they're kind of a different kettle of fish in as much yeah. as they got discovered and they went off and they did this. But the bands that were on the brink behind them, they, they kind of were mixing and knew them all, but just didn't get the big break. Or No. I mean, even the Curse the Kurt was did pretty good with one song, really, and that was... It's a bit of a shame, because it was such a novelty song. Really good record, you know, Little Dishina. Yeah. But hard to follow a novelty song. I mean, if I had ever... If I ever did release Caravan on Canvey Island, I'd never be able to follow it up. No, you'd be, you'd be done, wouldn't you? You'd be <laughs> yeah, that'd be finished. But if that was to, you know, if that was to keep me for the rest of my life, I'd be happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's now I know you a little bit better. Let's go back early, earliest musical memory, and your influences, the stuff that you listened to before you picked up a guitar or before you, if, earliest musical memory. Earliest musical memory would have been The Ventures, Walk Don't Run. Fabulous piece of um, music. Early shadow stuff. That was my first venture into playing guitar. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I couldn't play like Hank. I did my best. I became a rhythm guitarist in a shadows type group called the Spectres. Oh, yeah. And uh, we did, it was all shadows stuff. No vocals. No, no. Um, and then I, from that I went into like a, a 60s band, that, Five Steps Beyond, playing the stuff that Georgie Fame or Spencer Davis would be doing. I think the biggest memory, the most important influence I had was seeing Eric Clapton and John Mills Bluesbreakers at the Flamingo in 1965. Wow. Um, stayed out all night. The parents did that <clears throat> when I got home at about <laughs> six in the morning. Uh, but that has stayed with me, and I've seen Clapton a few times since then, but mm. 
never that buzz. I mean, it was just... I'd never seen anything like it. I'd never yeah. heard of him. You know, they introduced uh, John Mayer and the Blues Brothers with yeah. Eric Slohan Clapton. Oh, oh, sounds important. And then I heard him playing, and my goodness me. This is obviously before Cream and all that. Yeah. This, is, this is his early yeah, stuff. This is, yeah, it was just after he left the Yardbirds. Right, yeah. And I knew of the Yardbirds, but I didn't know the lineup. I, I didn't take that much. I only knew John Paul, John and Ringo, and that was pretty hard. Oh, <laughs> Hank, Hank and Jet Harris was about yeah. it. <laughs> well, the, the thing with that is I spoke to my daughter about this, and because um, she's just got into vinyl again. You know, because yeah. kind of music's got this massive renaissance thing going. Yeah, there's no music, no money in the music industry anymore. Nope. Because if you want the latest album, you can click a button and listen to it and not pay a bloody penny. Yeah. And so people are releasing their albums on vinyl again. Yeah. And she bought me the Shadows Twenty Golden Greats. Oh really? Which yeah. is which I hadn't seen for years. Yeah. She got it in a pound shop or something. She yeah. went, I've got you this. And I said, you know, this is one album, Jennifer, that throughout my whole life, now and again, I put on. And I can play the whole, just sit alongside just, it yeah, and play just, the whole because yeah. it just stays with me. So when everybody talks to me about the shadows, the hairs on the back of my arms go up because they made such a huge difference to me. And yet probably 15, 20 years later than the people that I respect and the people that I've met. So they're timeless. Yeah. Everybody absolutely. knows who they are. I mean, my yeah. ex-wife hated the shadows. She was a dance teacher. Oh, right. So any time she had to find an instrumental, it was a bloody shadow. Of course. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they, there's a there's a certain way that they and a certain tone that Hank, and again, stay true to himself has never changed that tone, no. and uh, has there. never ever done anything except what he does. Yeah, and still, well, I think the biggest guitar legend yeah. there's ever been. You wouldn't yeah. have had Clapton and Knopfler and Gilmore without no. Holly, without Buddy Holly, and without Hank no, that's Robin. right. You know, We're just all paying huge... tribute to him all the time. Mark Knopfler on his. Uh... Rat Pickers album or whatever mm. it was, he, he did a direct tribute to Clapton. He played a Clapton, uh, Aunt Marvin yeah. solo on one of his songs, an amazing. So I have to keep playing that, just that track to hear that to hear Mark Knopfler sounding like Eric, Mar Eric, Mar Eric Marvin, Hank Marvin, Eric Marvin, Eric Marvin. Oh, yeah, that that <laughs> yeah, because in America they had the Ventures, yeah, who were yeah. enormous, probably bigger in America than the Shadows were in Japan. I mean, they're in, still enormous in Japan, and that. The Ventures sort of came to me really before The Shadows for some reason. I don't know why Walk Don't Run was the thing that really got me into guitar. Mm -hmm. And so I loved The Ventures all those years. And luckily enough, for me, in 2005, I've got to meet them in America. I used to, when I was working, uh, we were looking for a guitar line to distribute because I used to distribute Mark, uh, Mark Levinson's Blade guitars. Oh, okay. And um, he joined up with. Paul Reed or someone, but he joined up with another company, so we kind of lost it. And I was looking for something else, and I saw the Ventures playing at the NAMM show in California, and they were all playing Ventures guitars, and I said to the guy who worked for me, he was with me, I said, Carl, wouldn't it be great to get Ventures guitars? Because he's only a youngster, he didn't even know who mm -hmm. they were. So I went on their stand, and Don Wilson, the rhythm guitarist, who played that rhythm, that... <laughs> We just fell in love with each other and we became great friends. He was about 80 years old at the time. He's still around. Mm. And um, we started hanging out and he gave me the distribution of their guitars for Europe. And that, as well, that's, I think, the second thing to meet, to see him Clapton playing in 1965 with John Mayer was meeting and sitting at dinner with Don Wilson, who was probably my first guitar hero. I didn't even know his name back then. 
just knew the ventures and I loved the ventures and the whole beach thing, which yeah, eventually led me into the Beach Boys. But it was just such a big event and still is. I, mean, I still occasionally get some, I get a Christmas card every so often. And uh, that's probably the second, like I say, the second big thing that happened to me in music mm. outside of going out and playing it. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. You get to meet people like that. And, yeah. um, I mean, I've, I've met a few, but but not uh, not my heroes as such, but I've, yeah. I've met enough. I, I spoke to my daughter about this, and she's always about One Direction and these bands like that. You know, yeah. she's at that age. And she said to me about, yeah, but they're, you know, she said, but people like that, they, you, you'll never meet them. And I went, always remember that I am only one good album and there are only one bad album from both appearing on the same bill somewhere. <laughs> yeah, <that's exactly laughs> you know, at the end of the day, if I get a half-decent album and get Wembley Arena, yeah, and they get a, a, you know they they come away from the stadium and back into the arena again. Chances are our paths are going to cross. Yeah, so they're there because of the albums they've sold and because of the adulation that they've got. But I said I've met people who are as big as that at Butlins. Yeah. Because twenty five years later, they're just people. You know, just people doing time, the everybody knew Chesney Hawks. Everybody knew yeah. Vanilla Ice. And I said I work with them all because yeah. I've and I've been all right because I've kind of floated around at this level for years. But yeah. they've tasted it. You know, for, they're on the way down. Yeah. So for me, I'm well, all right. I float around yeah. and meet the boys. <laughs> well, you have to meet them on the way. I mean, Paul Paul Milligan, who's in the management of the Boomers, uh, he was a guitarist for Chip Hawks at the Tremolos. Yeah. Um, John Bobin's played with you. There was Steve Weeks, who was in Granny. He was in Heinz. Do you remember Heinz? I, I've heard the of Tornadoes. Yeah. The, you know, the Telstar. Heinz went Telstar, out yeah. on his way down. <laughs> he used to go out as a solo artist, and Steve... Steve Weeks was his lead guitarist. I, a couple of guys I know played with Billy Fury, so or even the Feelgoods, I'm sure the Feelgoods did a Billy Fury thing at one time. I might write, I'd have to check that out. I know, that, yeah. I know that somebody, uh, I think it was the Feelgoods. Well, they've had so many lineups. Yeah. The Feelgood have had so many lineups, haven't they, over the years? Yeah. That I think every single member of them has done various other things. I, th- I know that Robert Kane was with the Animals for That's a while. That's right. Yeah. Um, Oh, God, they've all done. Obviously, Bronzy was in there for a while. Yeah. Um, the last singer before Rob, I think he was with um, the last lineup of the, the previous lineup of the Yardbirds. Yeah, I'm trying to think of his name, but it won't Gage. come to me. Steve Mick Gage. Um, Pete Gage. Pete Gage. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, they've got Rob now, and they. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And they've got new guitarist Steve Whirlwinds. Yeah, Steve's not there anymore. No. Is he? He's. Um, have they got? Um, I can't. They've got somebody back again. They've got someone back who was there. Yeah, I, can't, I never knew it? him before. Oh, so. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who they got back. They're on tour. They're still doing yeah. this and doing yeah, that. Yeah, they've still got Phil Mitchell on bass. Phil. Well, Phil's an old friend. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking at getting an interview with Phil. I met him yeah. a few times a few years ago. He and, did one um, gig with the Chaos Brothers. Oh, he okay. stood in for Dave Bronze. Poor old Phil. I mean, he's a great player, but he said, yeah. I'm no Dave Bronze, you know. I said, <laughs> Phil, you're Phil Mitchell. That's all I need. Yeah, Phil's you good. Know? Phil's yeah. a good player. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping to get an interview with Phil. Um, I've sort of met him a few times through a a friend of ours. And uh, just, uh, it's not necessarily I want to talk to him about the Feelgoods. I want to talk to him about the stuff before that. Because he's only been with Dr. Feelgood since about 83, 84 or something. Yeah, he was was on the Feelgoods after, I think it's after Dave, after Dave Bronze. Phil yeah. came in. He may have been in before and then quit and then gone yeah, back Yeah, he was. Again. Yeah, he yeah. was in. Bronzy was there from, I think Bronzy was there from about 1990 to about 94, 95. Yeah. And Lee, when they lost Lee, they didn't do anything for a few years. That's right. But I know Phil Mitchell was on the 80, an album they did in 85. Um, so we would have done it. I think when they did that 
sort of last performance. It seemed to me as if um, Lee Brillo had literally just put the band together. He had Steve Warwin, he had um, Dave Bronze, and I think yeah, people realised it was Lee's last show and sort of yeah. Ian to... Gibbons played on there as well. Unfortunately, another guy's gone. He was on that down at the Doctor's. I love that album. album. Yeah, I got that. Great. Yeah, album. I, yeah. I, yeah. I've always loved that. I, I, do you know what? I can't get it anywhere because you can't, yeah, no. when you when you find them and you look them up, yeah, you can get all of their studio albums, but I can't get, you can't get the live one. one. Yeah. yeah, no histrionics, just one word. Leave yeah, Rilo, that's Dr. it. Phil. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I love that album because it's yeah. it's Walter Tight as yeah. a as a as a unit. It played so well, and he actually says sixteen bars of piano, and there is piano on it. <laughs> <Yeah, that's right. laughs> <laughs> Which you don't get on the record. Uh, and I've heard other people say that there was a, a, like a Philgood's tribute band that Phil Mitchell played in. He's played in a tribute band oh. while he was in the Philgood's. Wow, the Nightcrawlers or something. I can't remember, but. Um, I remember the singer saying 16, but maybe he might have said 14 bars of piano. He didn't quite get it right. <laughs> <laughs> that fell over. <laughs> oh, so you're happy where you are. You're doing the management. You're busy, yeah. and and you've got you've had a great career. Any first of all, best song you've written, and and, and the answer by the way should be the next one. <laughs> yeah, the next one. I was well, what's your proudest moment? What's what's your Sergeant Pepper, if you like, in terms of the song that you look at? Uh, and you think it's. Magical? I think. My favourite song is Weirdy Deirdre's Dilemma. Dilemma, That, along with Tell Me What You Want. Yeah. Because that's such a buzz. Tell Me What You Want. I, it is, I've heard them. It's enormous sound. And I think those two, if I had to choose one or the other, I'd probably fall down and Tell Me What You Want. And I like Weirdy Deirdre because we got Mel Collins to play sax on it. Yeah, he worked with Dire Straits, didn't he? Yeah. 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 And I think he did a brief stint with King Crimson as well. Right. And uh, he was—he came in the studio. I've worked with a lot of, obviously worked with a lot of session musicians. Yeah, of worked with the top of the pops orchestra, and these—they're the guys who t you turn up a newspaper and a song sheet. Yeah, and they both had both on the music stand. You know, <laughs> uh, they were always dead right, dead keen, but no feel. Mel Collins came in. He said, "Play me the track," and he said, "I'll try something out." We recorded it, and it was just unbelievable. He said, "We said, could you do a bit of doubling on something?" He said, "Yeah, I'll do that." And he then doubled it in harmony. I'd never seen anything like it. No. He was. There's a reason why they are yeah. where they are. Yeah. And us, me, immortals, we have to kind of work it out. Yeah. So when I'm teaching, somebody will say, "How does that go?" And I say, "Well, he just sings it, or he just plays it. It's up to me now to work out what he plays." Yeah. <laughs> when you're in a covers band, you're saying like, "Well, we've got to work this out," but they just go out and do it because it's them. Yeah. You know, so you you're enjoying life. You're enjoying where you are. You obviously you, mm. you know you retired. Is, is the management the only your only sort of thing that you concentrate on other than sort that, of doing then, your garden and stuff like that? <laughs> my wife does the garden. I kind of look at it. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> she asks my opinion, so I am good at giving opinions. Um, but of course, the the boomers seems to be very much coming back to life again. Yeah. Um, I've got. Got a note from Tim Broughton this morning. Can you send me the, the management gig list? Because he wants to fill in the gaps with the boomers. Okay. Um, so I'm quite excited about that because it's a totally different thing. The boomers. They're a, they're a pub band. They're not a club band. They're a pub mm. band. You got. We want you to sit down and listen. You want to dance, great. But you know, please listen to what we're doing because yeah. we work really hard on making it sound like that. Uh, whereas the management work really hard on giving you a good time. Yeah. It's just both things are just as hard and just as important. But I do like perfecting music. Yeah. I mean, the boomers could spend the whole day perfecting two songs. Yeah. Um, if we played them after an hour, they'd sound great. But Dave Bronze is very, very 
much on the ball. I really, mm. oh yeah, yeah, every note. Yeah, you know. I mean, we've had I've had conversations. Where I do a Q and A as part of my podcast, and somebody said, "Is it the singer or the song?" Mm. And I've always said, "It's most of the time if, if people on a Saturday night in social clubs, it's the songs." Yeah, anybody bangs out all right now. Yeah. You know, people are going to get up. Anybody bangs out. Yeah. You know, do you love me? Little twist and shout. People are going to get up. But sometimes you can take that away and you sit in a restaurant somewhere. You've got to be able to play and sing because people are not dancing. They're listening to That's you. Right. It's more of a personal thing. Yeah. So for you, obviously, the boomers is more about people sipping their pint and enjoying the perfection yeah. of the show. Whereas the management type band, but more about giving the people a party rather than yeah. kind of self-gratification and as much as this sounds great. You know, yeah. really and it's quite it. stressful keeping people on a dance floor. You, know, yes. you play a lot of songs. Whereas the boomers, we can take our time, we can relax into it. And the more yeah. I get relaxed, the more I enjoy it. Yeah. And Do you have I a set list? That. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, always have a set always list. Always a set list, yeah. Because yeah, we I won't go out about a set list. No, I, 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 I sort of, between the two, I can, now and again, if it's a busy night, you have a set list and you sort of have a still dancing, don't do the slow one. You know, yeah. jump jump that one do because you're thinking. But I think it's the timing. I think a lot of people that you entertain, particularly, let's take Lee Constitutional as an example. Mm. You come out and you might do mate, a nice easy one to start with and then you get the dance, dance floor full. But if you play too many fast ones, they're going to go and sit down. And you're That's right. Off. So it's being able to just pace it to the point yeah. where you think that's you're starting difficult. to get tired now yeah. and it, sometimes it goes perfectly and sometimes it goes yeah. completely wrong and that's, that is more stressful because yeah. we have to work pretty much the set list because you're working so fast through the song yeah. keeping them there you don't get much break time to relax and think what should we do next whereas yeah, with the boomers we do tend to we have the set list but we look at the audience and we might pull something from the second set into the first set well this will yeah. go well now yeah. So we'll move things about. It's in the moment more, in yeah. as much as yeah. you know, you, you're kind of reacting to what you're doing. Yeah, and it's easy when people are watching. You can see reactions and see what they're enjoying. You know. Yeah. And uh, but I, I like both. Yeah. But I from think... a relaxing point of view, it, it, I think the boomers is easier because you're relaxed and you take your time. The, the management, blooming hard work. Party really, band. It is hard work. Yeah, it's, it, it, there's so many different. And, and the good thing about that is I'm, I'm similar to yourself in as much as I do the the band, I do the duo, I do the trio, and I yeah. work on my own, do a three-hour cabaret with an acoustic guitar if I have to. Yeah. Um, so one gig on one night, what would you choose? Somebody said to you, right, Bob, you've got to play, play for us, you can do anything you want to do. What would you do? What, music-wise? Yeah, music-wise. Um, I'd probably do... I'd pro always tend to fall back on doing quite a lot of Beatles songs because I like helping them out, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they're just definitely. such lovely songs. <laughs> um, I like mid-tempo. Sort of mid well, would you do... What I meant was, would you do uh, a, a solo show? Would you do... A, oh, a, a choice band? of what just I Just a choice doing. of the, the project that you do on that night. I mean, the set list, you can play what you want. Yeah, it would, it would always be a band. Yeah. I quite liked the duo thing. I mean, I've worked with drum machines for on my own and with Dave Bronze. Mild and Bitter is Mild and Bitter and Sid on the drum machine. <laughs> we used to hide in the van. We always used to tell yeah, people yeah, Sid was yeah. in the van. Yeah, my backing band sit behind yeah, the curtain. That's a right. Bit shy yeah. and it won't come out. Yeah. So I liked it, but I just love four piece where we're singing. It's nice to have a singer as well, but because I'm a singer, so it's yeah. nice doing a little four piece where we all sing. And I love harmonies. Yeah. So, I mean, the management are good with harmonies. People talk about harmonies, but the boomers, the drummer sings as well. So we've got a four-part harmony. Yeah. And for me, that, it gives, when I, when they all start singing, I get goosebumps yeah. every time. 
No, I agree. You, you do. You yeah. do something something like this boy by the Beatles or yeah, something like exactly. that, which is yeah. which uh, apparently they got from singing to know him is to love him or something. That's which right. is a, yeah, and we're all that. working on that. Yeah. But that as a harmony is a beautiful yeah. three part harmony. Yeah. Um and I work with a lot of my brother, you know, a lot of harmony stuff. And yeah, I agree with you. It's it's the music is great when the music's tight, mm. but when the harmonies are good, that's that's when it makes the difference. Yeah. I saw the Simon and Garfunkel story at the Cliffs recently. Oh, right. And yeah. obviously, you know, uh, I think in amazing. Just yeah, amazing. the way their voices They're not obvious together. harmonies. No. And that's the, the key to it. Now, what surprised me there, they got it all from the Everly Brothers. Yeah. They eventually moved away a bit from that way of harmonising. Yeah. But that was what kicked them into action. But not obvious harmonies. Not, no. Not, not, not the obvious third or the fifth. The, the kind no, that's of, right. You're listening to it, you're thinking, that shouldn't be there. Yeah. But the fact it's there makes you go, well, yeah. I know they got it from the Everly Brothers. Yeah. yeah. You listen to their harmonies and you think, um, what's the song? Let It Be Me. Oh, yeah. And you think, that's not an obvious harmony. Yeah. But if it was an obvious harmony, it wouldn't fit. No. <laughs> it's no. really strange, isn't it? No, that's right. So I mean, it'd we... be harmony band, maybe the Boomers on one night. Yeah. One gig on one night, you choose that just for... Just for harmonies. How it makes you yeah. feel. And, I mean, I do, sometimes I, I do hark back to the old soul band days because that Goosebumps, I used to get that with brass section. The oh. first time I ever played with a big brass section, I almost, virtually on the verge of passing out, I thought, it, it, this is unbelievable. I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't open my mouth and sing. It was the yeah. sound of a brass section behind you. It was extraordinary. Uh, lucky, lucky enough to experience once. So experienced yeah. it once. We had a rock and roll band and we yeah. shared it with a swing band. Oh, right, yeah. And we said at the end, we want to do, I think we did, did Johnny Be Good. So it's, yeah. it's just three chords, can you do it? And we had the saxophones and everything. And I remember looking at my brother going, this is unbelievable. Yeah. But never since. I always think, yeah. I want to do it one more time, you know, yeah. just to just to hear it one more time. Um, Bob, it's been a real, I could sit and talk to you all day, mate. <laughs> And I hope that I will see you again. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, I hope great. I've covered at least um, as much of your career as you can remember at this point. But if you, if you think of anything, we'll do it again sometime. <laughs> oh, you know, if something comes out of the, the ether. Uh, totally <laughs> On a personal know. level, um, thank you for your time. Thank you for for paving the way for people like myself to earn a living from this business by That's following nice, in your footsteps. You. Um, and continue to do what you're doing. And I will definitely, at some point, because I've got some more weekends off now, I've kind of... I'm at that point where I'm looking at it thinking, I don't want to be out every Saturday night now. I want to be out. You know, if, if I take a Friday night, I have the Saturday off spending yeah, with my like kids. Yeah. Um, but I will definitely come and see you. Great. Um, I know you're just a quick plug. You're at, are you at Wakering? We're at Great this Wakering Saturday. this Saturday. Yeah. Um, and that's all I know. There's a whole list of gigs which keeps getting published on Facebook <laughs> but I only ever think of the next one look them up follow <laughs> yeah, DA management right. DA management have a look the, the new album is called Under New Management and uh, as I say there are uh, 12 songs on there the last one is A Caravan on Canvey Island you've heard about it but now you can hear it <laughs> Bob has very kindly signed his copy of the album and uh, don't forget tune in next week I'll have another interview with you I'm hoping to get Riga Steve Steve Catamole in for next week oh, cool. if not it will just be me rambling on for 45 minutes or so special thanks to Bob Mundy for his time and um, keep listening in and I'll see you next week Yours Music signing off bye bye for now bye